Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. What was the worst job that you ever had? Okay, I want you to think about that for a sec. What was the worst job that you ever had in your life? Was it when you were 16 and you worked for Sonic and you had to wear the roller skates? Was it when you babysat for your pastor? What was the worst job that you ever had in your life? Was it when you worked at a pipe fabrication shop with your papa in the summer, southeast Texas, no AC, pushing your broom? What was the worst job that you ever had? I'll tell you what my worst job was. My worst job was selling knives door to door. Okay, you can imagine how that how that went down. I'm an 18-year-old, crusty, punk kid, skinny jeans and gauged ears covered in tattoos, knocking on your door. Knock, knock. Hey, I got a bag of knives. <laughs> Let me in. I promise I won't kill you, okay? Yeah, it didn't go very well. That was my worst job. What was the worst job that you ever had? But what was the best job that you ever had? How many of you ever had a job that you just loved? You loved that job, you worked it, you came home satisfied, fulfilled at the end of the day because you loved your job. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. As we continue our sermon series through the book of Proverbs, we're calling it Wisdom for Life. And the sermon today is gonna be called Wisdom for Work because an important part of your life is what you do for your work. We've all had jobs we've loved, and we've all had jobs we've not loved. We've all had jobs that were great, and we've all had jobs that were mm, not so great. We've all worked for great bosses. We've all worked for people who were not good bosses. We've all came home satisfied. We've also come home exhausted. We've all had doors of opportunity open before us, and We've also had doors shut in our face, just like when I was selling knives. No matter who you are, or where you're at, or where you work, the Bible gives tremendous dignity, value, and worth to the work that you do. So the question is, do you think that God cares about your job? Do you think that God cares about what you do or how you make a living? Because we're all going to work. Maybe you are working in retail. Maybe you work in sales. Maybe you work at a plant. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you work in the hospitals. Maybe you are a stay-at-home mom or you run your own business. No matter what you do, your work is very important. But the question is, do you think that God cares about your job? Do you think God cares about your work? Did you know that the average person is going to work 100,000 hours over the course of their life? That in the course of your life, you're going to spend roughly one-third of your life working. If you were to work a 40-hour work week, and you were to take that, and you were to multiply it by 50 years, that's roughly 100,000 hours of your life is going to be spent at work. In just comparison... Um, you're going to spend about an hour today listening to this sermon, okay? And if you were to never miss a Sunday at Redemption this year, you would listen to 52 hours of Bible teaching, preaching, expository sermons. You would come to church for 52 hours this year, okay? Now, if you were to take that and multiply it by 50, then over the next 50 years, you're going to spend 2,500 hours at church worshiping. 
Compare that to your job, 100,000 hours. Which one do you think God cares about? Do you think God cares about only what happens on a Sunday, the one hour that you spend at church, or does God also care about what you do on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday? Now we work on Saturdays and some of you work on Sundays. Does God care about what only happens in the church or is God also concerned about what you do and how you work? The answer is God cares about both. That God doesn't only care about the one hour at church, but he also cares about the 100,000 hours that you're going to be spending at work. And so when it comes to that, the truth is, is we're going to need to get some wisdom. And God cares about it so much that he actually had a guy named Solomon write a book called Proverbs, giving us wisdom around the subject of work. And so we're going to dive into the book of Proverbs, and we're going to survey it, and we're going to see what does the wisest man who ever lived have to say about one of the most important parts of our life, our work. And when you come to the book of Proverbs, one thing you're going to notice is this. Proverbs says there's basically two different types of people. There's foolish people and then there's wise people. And what you'll notice as you study through Proverbs, it's never going to say there's a foolish job and a wise job because there's no such thing as a foolish job. There's only foolish people. Okay, so you think, I have a foolish job. Okay, there's no such thing as foolish jobs. There's only foolish people because a wise man can take a bad job and make it a good job because he has wisdom. There is no such thing as a foolish job. There's only foolish people. Any job is a good job if you get wisdom. If you get wisdom, you can sell knives to door to door, and it's still going to be a good job because you got wisdom. But foolishness can take a good job and turn into a bad job. And so we need to ask the question, okay, what does it mean to be a foolish worker, and what does it mean to be a wise worker? We need to get wisdom for our work, and luckily for us, Proverbs is going to be able to answer that question. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask five questions starting off. Are you a foolish worker? And then we're going to ask five questions about what it means for us to be a wise worker, okay? And so as we're reading this, I say it all the time, through the study of Proverbs, here's something that's really important for us to understand, right? That the Bible is a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. Do y'all remember that? It's a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. So as we're reading this and you're thinking about all the people that you work with, remember, you're supposed to be inviting them to church. So praise the Lord. They're here. Thank you. Okay, but don't be thinking about them. Start thinking about you. Okay, which one of these best represents my life? Which one of these do I fit in? Because it's easy for me to think about Steve. Okay, but what does this have to do with me? And so I want you to remember, okay, okay are you a foolish worker? Okay, here's the, the first question is this. A foolish worker doesn't finish what they start. Okay, do you finish what you start? Here's, here's what Proverbs says. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 19.24. We are seven weeks into the book of Proverbs and we're finally going to meet the sluggard. Okay, the sluggard is a guy who is devolving on the evolutionary scale. He is moving backwards. He is devolving. The Bible doesn't talk about evolution. I personally don't believe in evolution, but I do believe in de-evolution, and that's exactly what we see here. This guy, he is so lazy, he is literally turning into a slug. Okay, the word sluggard, it means that you are lazy. Proverbs is written from a father to a son, and the dad says this, hey, son, do you see that guy over there? 
You see him with the bowl of chips and the Doritos. He's got the guacamole out. You see that guy sitting on the couch? Look at how lazy he is. He's got the chip. He dips it in the bowl, but he doesn't even have the energy to be able to get it from the bowl into his mouth. It's sliding down the side of his hand. He's just sitting there. He's like, this is tough. This is too much hard work. I can't do this. And then he, and then he quits. Do you see that guy? Do you see how lazy the sluggard is? He took the chip. He dipped it in the bowl, but he never gets in his mouth, and so he never enjoys any of the results of his effort. Why? Because a foolish worker doesn't finish what they get started. Okay, think about it. When you start something and you don't finish it, all you're doing is you're giving up in the most difficult parts, and you're never going to be able to enjoy any of the results of your efforts. Okay, do you finish what you're starting? I, I, went, I remember I, I listened to a podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and it was talking about how NASA engineers, that whenever they were building the first space shuttles, that whenever the, to get the shuttle up into orbit, they would burn a swimming pool worth of fuel every single second. But as soon as the shuttle got out into orbit, as it's in the atmosphere, it would get the same gas mileage as a suburban. And what that engineer was saying was this, is that it takes more energy to get something started than it does for you to finish it. If you're always quitting, guess what you're doing? You're repeating the most painful parts of any job. Because you quit. You never got up into orbit because you gave up before you ever got through. That if all you're doing is starting a job and quitting a job and starting a job and quitting a job, your resume may be seven pages long, but you have no results for any of the work that you do because you are a sluggard and you never finish the job. That's what a foolish worker does. Some people, they quit way too quickly. They say, oh, this job's hard, and so they quit, and they go get another job, and then they get that job, and they say, oh, this job's hard, and they quit, and they go get another job, and then they go get another job, and they quit, and they get another job, and they blame the boss, and maybe they need to blame themselves. Okay, because you, you quit too quickly, you give up too easily, and this doesn't only have to do with your jobs. For some people, this deals with every aspect of their lives. And so maybe it's a friendship. Things get tough, they quit, they move to another friend. Maybe it's a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, things get tough, can't handle conflict, you break up, you go get another one. Maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's in your community group, maybe it's on your serve team, maybe it's even in your church. You go to a church, you get connected, you go to next steps, you don't like that church, you quit, you go to another church, and then you go to another church, and then you go to another church, and all you do is repeating the most painful, difficult processes of any job over and over and over again in your life if you don't finish what you start you're just burning swimming pools worth of fuel all you're doing is just dipping your hand into a bowl and you're never getting it into your mouth because you never get to enjoy any of the fruits of your efforts and you never get up into orbit because it's a foolish worker this is what Proverbs is talking about about being a, a foolish worker so the question is do you finish what you start or do you give up too quickly a foolish worker quits a wise worker continues forward the, the next one is this it says are you a, a dreamer or a doer okay here's here's what comes next the soul of the sluggard remember that's the lazy person that's the foolish worker craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly satisfied proverbs 13 4 here it says the sluggard he craves the sluggard he dreams the sluggard he wishes okay what is your dream what is the one thing that you want what is the one thing above anything that if you could just do this one thing then you will finally be happy then you will finally be satisfied then you will finally be fulfilled if you could only get this one thing it's what i crave it's what i want it's what i wish it's what i dream foolish people dream 
Foolish people are about nothing more than their dreams. Dreams are good, but diligence is better. Because you can't pay your bills with wishing. Right? You can't wish your landlord would accept your dreams. You, you can't put food on the table with a wish. You can't feed your kids with a wish. You can't buy that new dress for your two-year-old daughter with a wish. You can't teach your son how to throw a curveball with a wish. You can't accomplish your dreams just by wishing. You accomplish your dreams by diligence. Proverbs would tell you this. Stop wishing, start working. People are like, I want to get that promotion. I wish I could get that job. I wish that I could get that girl. I wish that I could get married. I wish that I could go on vacation. I wish that I could save for retirement. I wish that I could land my dream job. I wish that I could be the boss. I wish that I could be the CEO. I wish that I could. I wish that I might. I wish that I may. If everyone just, just kept wishing, guess what? No one would be working. While you're busy wishing, everybody else is busy working. That's why they're passing you up. Because a sluggard, he craves and gets nothing. But the diligent, the diligent will always be rewarded. Stop wishing, start working. I meet a lot of young men who feel like they're called into ministry. And they think, Pastor, I'm going to be a church planter. I'm fired up. I believe God's called me to start brand new churches. And I'm like, really? Because all you do is play video games and sit in your office. It doesn't look like you're going to plant a church that way. They have wishes, but they don't work. I mean, a lot of young people who think, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor, right? I'm like, really? You're going to be a pastor? You can't read a book or stack chairs. You ain't going to be a pastor because it takes a lot of work. I mean, people, and they're like, I'm an evangelist. We're going to bring revival to the city. Heaven's going to come down. We're going to bring the kingdom of God. I'm like, yeah, last time I checked, you weren't a member at a church. You haven't given a dime to the kingdom. All you do is wish. The church takes work. And this applies to your life as well. I mean, I meet people all the time, and they're like, I wish that I could get this job. Stop wishing, start working. You know, most of us, we're probably not going to make 100K, we're probably going to work blue-collar, normal jobs for our lives, and we're probably not going to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. But don't let that destroy your dreams. Be diligent in your dreams. Don't wish work, and it's through diligence that your dreams are going to be able to come true. Keep dreaming, but keep working, because it's the diligence that leads to the dream. So the question is, are you a dreamer or a doer? I'm reminded of a quote by Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison said that opportunity is missed because it wears overalls and it looks a lot like work. <laughs> a lot of people wanted, wished they would invent the light bulb. Edison, he did it. You know why? Because he didn't spend all this time dreaming. He got to work and he did it. Stop wishing, start working. Because a foolish person is all about their dreams. The second one is this. Are you a procrastinator? Here comes the conviction. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek a harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 24, a foolish person, they don't plan properly. The Bible talks a lot about seasons and planning. Solomon's other book, Ecclesiastes, he says, for everything there is a season. There's a season to... There's a season to plan, there's a season to plant, there's a season to plow, there's a season to reap, there's a season to rest. For everything in your life, there is a season. A foolish person doesn't understand what season of life they're in. That when they are supposed to be reaping, they're resting. 
And so when it comes time for them to rest, guess what they have to do? They have to reap. They don't reap in the autumn, which means in the harvest time when they're supposed to be hanging out and enjoying their life, they never get to do that. Do you know why? Because they have to reap. Because they were resting when they were supposed to be reaping, and when it's time to reap, guess what they have to do? They have to get back to work. A lot of you, you feel very overworked, and you feel very overwhelmed, and you feel like you have nothing to show for anything that you do, and the reason why is because you're not really working, you're procrastinating. That when you're at work, you're supposed to be working, but instead what you're doing is resting, and because you're resting when you're supposed to be working, when the weekend comes, you can't rest, now you have to work. The reason that you don't get to enjoy your Saturdays is because you're not being faithful on your Monday. The reason that you have to put in overtime is because you're not being practical with your time throughout the week. The reason that you don't get to enjoy your weekends is because you're not being diligent and faithful throughout the work week. That you're not making time and so you have no time left over. That's called procrastination. Okay, he says you're reaping when you're supposed to be resting and you're resting when you're supposed to be reaping. We call that procrastination. Do you know what pro procrastination is? Okay, procrastination is this. It's a good thing at the wrong time. It's a good thing at the wrong time. That's what procrastination is. They're not bad things. It's just not the right time for you to be doing those things. I was reading one research from Business Insider. It came out just a couple years ago, and they did research. And here's what they discovered, that in 2011, the American business industry lost $1.5 billion in revenue to guess what? Angry Birds. Do you remember that game, Angry Birds? Okay, there's probably a lot of angry bosses, right? Because everybody was at work, supposed to be working, and guess what they were doing? They were playing video games. Okay, now, are video games a sin? No. Okay, they're stupid, but they're not sin. <laughs> playing video games at work, that's a sin. When you're supposed to be working, instead you're playing games, that's, that, that's not right, that's wrong. That, that's called stealing. And one of the biggest things and businesses are not people stealing out the front door, but employees stealing out the back door by charging their bosses and billing them for hours that they did not work. Okay, that's procrastination, and that's foolishness. And maybe it's not playing Angry Birds. Maybe it's talking to Carol. That you go over to accounting, you're talking to Carol, checking up on her, just seeing how the weekend was going, having a little water cooler conversation, gossiping just a little bit, talking about other people. Okay, is that, that's not work. Right, that's procrastination. And it could be a good thing, right? It could be something like talking to your wife. Or maybe your pastor calls you and you're busy, but you make time for it. Maybe it's FaceTiming with your kid. Maybe it is reading your Bible. Maybe it's listening to Redemption on podcasts, catching up on Proverbs, or all those good things. Yes, those are good things at the wrong time. That's exactly what procrastination is. It's a good thing at the wrong time. And when you procrastinate, what happens is this. You have no time left over for the weekend because you were reaping when you were supposed to be resting and you're resting when you're supposed to be reaping. If you would just put in a little bit more time throughout the week, make a better time, margin your schedule out a little bit better, you can enjoy your weekend a little bit more. The reason why we are so stressed and so overworked is because we're not actually working, we're procrastinating. Anybody convicted yet? That's why we study the book of Proverbs. <laughs> well, here's the next one is this. <clears throat> are you the smartest person in the room? The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Have you ever worked with a person who thought that they knew everything? 
Okay, you ever worked with that guy? Okay, if you haven't, that's because you're that guy. <laughs> you're like, I know everything. Yeah, exactly. You ever work with someone who, who thinks they know it all? Okay, they're, they're the worst because they're foolish. I mean, I remember whenever I used to wait tables, I would work in restaurants and I was a trainer and you know, people would come in and we'd hire them and we'd have to train them. And so we teach them the menu and we teach them how to use the, the computer and the floor plan. And here's what 86 means. And here's how the food comes out. And here's how you carry a tray and here's the layout. And so I would train them and it's actually pretty good at my job. And so I would train these people for several weeks. And then after training was over, it was my job to kind of watch after them, make sure that they were going to do okay. And then they would go out on their own. And then as you would follow up with them, here's what they'd say. I don't need your help. I got this. I can do this. It'd be, you know, you know, in the middle of the rush, they're in the weeds and they think, no, I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. I've waited tables before. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. I don't need you. I'm going to make a hundred dollars tonight. Don't leave me alone. And you're like, okay, buddy, you're on your own. And then they get out there. Do you think they do a good job or a bad job? Okay, bad job. Right, because they don't ask for help. See, a foolish person thinks asking for help makes you weak. I've said it before all throughout the series. I'll say it again. Asking for help does not make you weak. People think, oh, I don't need any help. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I can do it on my own. I'm better than you. I'm the smartest person in the room. A foolish person thinks asking for wisdom makes you weak. But the truth is, asking for wisdom does not make you weak. It makes you wise. You can work as hard as seven men, or you can ask for help and work as wise as seven men. You can work as hard as seven men, or you can ask for help, and you can work with the wisdom of seven men. See, a foolish person, they want to be the smartest person in the room. And here's what I've discovered. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're a fool. Whenever we planted Redemption Church, I'll be honest with you, I was a total idiot. I thought that I was the smartest person in the room. I had read all the books. I read the blogs. I knew everything. I listened to the podcast. I went to the conference. I knew it all. And I came, and we moved here, and we started working on planting, raising up a team. And I thought, I am God's gift to Beaumont. Redemption Church is just going to be a gospel-centered movement, and people are going to flock to the church. And I thought I knew it all. And we designed it all perfectly. And then guess what happened? It was kind of a disaster. Here's what happens. We, we thought, we don't need lights. No. Here's what we're going to do instead. We're going we're gonna to cover the stage in candles. It looked like an emo kid's bedroom. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, you couldn't tell if you were going to a rave or if somebody died. Like, that's church. <laughs> And there was candles all over the stage, and it was just so broody. It's like vampires for Jesus Church, and and as as and I thought, this is great, this is great. And then on Wednesday nights, I would have to come up to the church, and I would have to iron the stage with wax paper because the serve team spilt the wax from the candles all over the stage. And then they're like, "Hey, you need to come clean this up, or we're taking it into your rent." And we're like, "I'll be up there." Right? Bad idea. I thought, we're going to start a church in a bar. That's going to be cool. And then we get there, and it's dirty and dingy and stinky. And, you know, it was great for while I was there, but it was not long-term or sustainable. We were going to do things called missional communities where we were going to get together, and we were going to go mow old people's yards. And people were like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. Right? It failed. It didn't work. I thought, we're going to plant 10 churches in the city of Beaumont, and each church is going to have 40 people in it. It's going to be amazing. And guess what people said? That sounds terrible, Byron. I don't want to do that. But I wouldn't listen to them. 
And I said, we're going to do it this way because this is the right way. This is my way. I know what's best. Turns out, I didn't know what's best. Because what happened is our serve team was dwindling. Okay, people weren't giving. My wife was upset with me. I was dying. It was a mess. And so here's what I did. I went and found a coach, a mentor. I went and found other pastors who were going to be able to speak life into me, give me wisdom, give me guidance, give me correction. I humbled myself before other people. And guess what happened? The moment I admitted I didn't know what I was doing was the moment I got wisdom and the church began to grow. Because I realized... I'm not the smartest person in the room. If you have to be the smartest person in the room, it's because you are a fool. If I'm the smartest person in this church, we're all in trouble, amen? <laughs> a fool thinks they're the smartest person in the room. A fool thinks that asking for wisdom makes them weak when the truth is asking for wisdom actually makes you wise. A fool doesn't work with the wisdom of seven men. A wise person would rather work with the wisdom of seven men than work with the strength of seven men. That's Proverbs. And then here's the next question is this. Are you difficult to work with? Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs 10, 26. How many of you ever drank vinegar? Okay. All the crunchy moms are like, yes, I drink vinegar with the mother all the time. How many of you ever got smoke in your eyes, right? American spirits, hipsters, you know, get smoke in your eyes, right? Okay, okay. Besides you, it's annoying, isn't it? It's annoying when you drink vinegar on the teeth. It's annoying when you get smoke in your eyes. That's the same thing working with a lazy person. They're annoying. They're difficult for you to work with. You're like, oh, no, not Carl. <laughs> Carl gets on my nerves. I hate working with Carl. Every time he walks in, Carl, he, he's late. You know, he's always got an excuse. He's 20 minutes, you know, late. He takes seven smoke breaks, two lunches. I think he's got two stomachs. I don't know how he does this. That's Carl. He's always talking bad about the boss. He's always got some dirty joke about women. He's always degrading to his wife. I hate working with Carl. Carl is so difficult. Carl is a sluggard. Carl makes everybody else's jobs terrible because he's a fool. How many of you are surprised that Proverbs talks like this? How many of you are surprised that the Bible actually says these things? Because you think about the Bible, this isn't what you really think about. Because right now, some of you are thinking, Byron, I haven't even heard the name of Jesus once in this sermon. But what does this have to do with God? Right? What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? What does this have to do with the Bible? How many of you are kind of surprised that this is actually in this book? Because what happens is this. When we read the Bible, we typically think about the stories we learned in Sunday school. When we read the Bible, we typically think about Moses and the Ten Commandments. We think about Noah and the ark. We think about Jonah and the whale, which it wasn't a whale. It was actually a fish. We think about David and Goliath. We think about Jesus healing the sick and hanging out with prostitutes and welcome children. Jesus dying on the cross. We think about Paul as he goes and he plants churches. When we think about the Bible, that's what we normally think of. We normally think of stories that inspire us, but the Bible is more than just stories that inspire us. It's also wisdom that informs us. Amen. That the Bible has wisdom for your life. And here's the reason why. It's because the Bible is not just for your salvation, which it is. 
It tells the story about how Jesus comes, he lives the sinless life in your place, dies the painful death, he goes to the cross, substitutes himself, receives the wrath of God in your place so you can have new life. You know what we call that new life? Sanctification. That the Bible is not just about your salvation, the Bible is also about your sanctification. That the Bible doesn't just tell you who Jesus is, the Bible also teaches you how you live for him. The Bible is not just stories that inspire, but it's also wisdom that informs. Because life change doesn't stop the moment you meet Jesus. Life change happens every single day for the rest of your life. Life change is not just one hour on Sunday, it also includes the 100,000 hours you will be working for the rest of your life. The Bible doesn't just show you your salvation, it also shows you your sanctification. That's why we're studying the book of Proverbs, that when we work, we don't work for our salvation, we're working out our salvation in our jobs. The reason why a theology of work is so incredibly important is because when you get saved, you also are being sent. That you get saved on a Sunday, but you also have to go to work on a Monday. That when we work, it is not out of our necessity, we also work out of our identity. That when we work, when we go home, when we go to college, when we go to school, whenever we are doing our jobs, what we are doing is we are actually becoming more and more just like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. That work is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith and become more like Jesus. It's not for your salvation, but it is for your sanctification. This is why a theology of work is so incredibly important. Do you think God was afraid of work? Do you think God had a job? Oh, yeah. God, he works. Okay, this is one of the things that differentiates the Christian religion from every other religion, especially the ancient Near Eastern religions and the pagan religions of the day. It's because the ancient Near Eastern religions, they saw that human beings were their slaves and they didn't work and we worked for them. The Greek and the pagan and the Roman gods, they would play up in heaven and it was our job to serve and to appease them. The God of the Bible, he works. From Genesis 1, it shows us that God, he actually works. In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth and everything in between, and he worked for six days, and then he what? He rested. God worked. Okay, six days, guys. That's a full-time job. Okay, it's not a part-time job. That's a full-time job. He works six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested because God, he works. And when God made the universe, he did so in a way that would stamp dignity on every single person, whether white collar, blue collar, or no collar, he blesses you with a stamp of dignity upon your work. So when he speaks the universe into existence with just a word, what's that? That's an entrepreneur. Whenever he designs the universe, all the way down to the, the molecules, that's an engineer. Whenever God digs in the dirt and he makes Adam out of the clay, that's an artist. God blesses every single aspect or industry in his identity as he works. God is an entrepreneur. God is a scientist. God is also an artist. That's the way that God works. Our God is a working God. He's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and get his hand dirty and do the difficult job. Do you think Jesus works? Yes. 
Just think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus leaves heaven, enters into this world, and he gets a job. That the first 30 years of Jesus' life, that he was working as a carpenter with his adoptive father, swinging a hammer, wearing a Nomex, living in a hick town where nobody knew his name, drinking Coors Light. That's how Jesus lived his life. The first 30 years, and do you think at any moment Jesus is like, I'm God, this is beneath me. I made the heavens and the earth, I'm not making a table. Do you think that's what Jesus did? Do you think that Jesus ever complained? Do you think he ever criticized? Do you think Jesus ever did a halfway job, ever phoned it in, called in sick? Do you think Jesus ever did those things? That's not what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. For 33 years of his life, he swung a hammer, he wore a Nomex, he got dirt under his fingernails, that he made dang good tables. That's what Jesus did. And then when Jesus goes into ministry, do you think he got lazy? Do you think Jesus was like, well, I'm in ministry now. I'm just going to sit back and hang out in the office and read some books. And maybe when I come back, then I'll be happy again. Do you think that's what Jesus did? (laughs) That's not what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He worked. He worked every single day throughout his ministry. He says, I have been sent here to do the work that my father has told me to do. And then when Jesus goes to that cross, he's hanging on that cross, beaten and bloodied and battered and bruised. His last breath, he says, Father, it is finished. The work is done. I did it all. I didn't waste it. I invested it. I worked hard and it's finished. The work is done. Jesus, he works. The Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit work? Yes, the Holy Spirit is working out salvation in your life right now. Some of you right now, the Holy Spirit is working in you, drawing you into the grace that God has. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit works in salvation. The Spirit also works out your salvation through fear and trembling called sanctification. The Holy Spirit works by equipping the church. The Holy Spirit works by empowering believers. Right now, today, the Holy Spirit has the biggest job in the world. The Holy Spirit is the leader of the greatest organization that this world has ever seen. The organization that the Holy Spirit leads is bigger than Microsoft, it's bigger than Apple, it's bigger than Google, it's bigger than Target, it's bigger than Walmart, it's bigger than McDonald's, it's bigger than anything. They have outposts in every country, every continent, every city, every language, every ethnicity. This organization, it runs hospitals, it runs homeless shelters, it runs universities, it runs drug rehabilitation programs, it runs runs care clinics, and it even has people all across the world. 4.5 billion people in this organization. Do you know what that organization is called? It's called the church. And the Holy Spirit leads it. That's called work. Does God work? Yes. And when you work, you become like God. You're like God when you work. Do you know why work is so important? Because work is a way that we become more like him. When we work, we are showing the world our new identity. We don't work out of necessity. We work out of this Trinitarian identity that when we work, we have the opportunity to become more and more just like Jesus. When we view our work as an opportunity to reflect the glory of God and the good of others. This is why Proverbs talks about work because it's so important in your life because when you work, you become like him. How many of you want to work like God? 
Would you like that work ethic? Would you like that work character? Would you like to say, oh yeah, like I want to be just like God. Like that's who I want to be. I want to work like Jesus. I want to work like the Holy Ghost. That's what I want. Okay, then you're going to need to get wisdom. If only there was a place we could go to get wisdom. Oh yeah, that's the book of Proverbs. That's what we're studying, right? All right, so how do we know if we're a wise worker? Great question. Glad you asked. You're always right there in my notes with me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Five questions for wise worker. Are you a wise worker? Let's see. Number one is this. Does your job work for you? A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Proverbs 16, 26. So many people, they work in their jobs instead of working on their jobs. Okay, here's what I mean. When you're always working in your job, you get up, you go to work, you pound the coffee, you grind it out, you take a lunch, you take a nap, you pound an energy drink, then you come home, have dinner, go to bed, do it all over again. You're grinding, you're not satisfied. That's working in your job. Okay, a wise person takes a step back and realizes that I don't work for this job, this job actually works for me. That this job provides me opportunities. I don't work for them, they work for me. Because when I go to work for them, my mouth urges me on. That this job provides an opportunity for me to take care of my family. This job provides an opportunity for me to be able to take my wife out on a date. This job provides the opportunity for me to spend extra time with my kids. This job provides the opportunity for me to be able to give generously to my church. This job provides the opportunity for me to see my work as a witness. This job provides the opportunity for me to be able to evangelize to the lost. This job provides an opportunity for me to experience life change through Jesus. This job provides an opportunity for me to bring glory to him and to become like him. This job works for me. I don't work for this job. A wise person, they let their appetite work for him. It drives you. When you're passionate about what you do and who you do it for, you realize that this job actually works for me. Do you see the difference? Do you see why this, how this works? Because so many people were working in our jobs instead of stepping back and realizing that our job works for us. Okay, the next one is this. Are others better because of you? Here's Proverbs 29, 21. It says, whoever pampers his servant from childhood, will in the end find him as his heir. Now, the term pamper, today it gets a bad, gets a bad rap. We think pamper, I don't want to pamper them, because if I pamper them, then, then they're going to you know, get entitled, and they're going to be lazy, and if I pamper them, then you know, they're going to think they're actually doing a good job, and I don't want them to do that, because then they might get prideful, and I want to pamper them, right? And we think, oh, I don't want to pamper people, but that's not actually what pamper means. Pamper, it means to pay attention to detail and to invest by showing care into another person. Okay, that's what pampering is. And here Proverbs says, if you pamper a worker, they will eventually rise to the level of leadership and they will become your heir. Here's what he's saying, that when they get better, everybody else gets better. Do you make people at your work better? Are people better because they're on your team? Okay, are you investing in other people? When you see somebody and they have a little bit of potential, they're getting new into the organization, do you say, oh my God, like just ignore them and, and maybe they'll get better? That's not how it works. You can't ignore someone and hope they get better. What do you do? You invest in them instead. That you would go and you would spend time with them, you would train them, you would teach them, you would show them, you would lead them, and as you lead them, they get better. And when they get better, everybody gets better and it gets a lot better for you as well because that's wisdom. If you want to know what a wise worker is, just follow the model of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, he comes. Jesus got a big job to do. Okay, what does he do first? He calls 12 men to be his disciples. 
Okay, these disciples, they were bad workers. Okay, we're reading through the Gospel of Mark right now, and they can't get anything right. I mean, Peter, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? They're always just getting in the way. They don't really do anything well, and Jesus, the whole time, he's investing in them. He's taking time, spending time. He's investing in them because he knows that one day he's going to hand his church off to them, and he's got three years to raise them up, to prepare them, and then after Jesus dies, goes to heaven, he says, Peter, you're my boy. Your time. Peter stands up, preaches Pentecost. The church explodes. Here we are, 2000 thousand years later in downtown Beaumont. Are we glad that Jesus invested in somebody? Absolutely. Are you investing in somebody at work? Because a wise worker makes others better. The next one is this. Number three, how do you make the best out of a bad boss? Here's what Proverbs says. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings and he will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 22, 9. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. There is no such thing as a foolish job. There's only foolish people. And sometimes you work for them. You ever had a bad job? You ever had a bad boss? Okay, it's the worst when you work for a bad boss. I want you to know this. That boss, he's an obscure man. That he's taking it out on you. That he's frustrated with himself, and so he's taking it out on you. Maybe he knows he's already hit his lid. Maybe he's not happy at home. Maybe there's something going on in his life, and he knows he's not going to get that promotion, so he's preventing you from getting it yourself. You work for a bad boss. He's an obscure man. There's a girl in our church, just this week, she came and she told me, she said, Pastor Byron, could you pray for me because I, I just got fired from my job? Because my boss, he messed up on paperwork, and instead of taking responsibility, he just fired me instead to cover his back. That's a bad boss. That's an obscure man. And guess what? He's going to be accountable before God for that. But one day, you, too, will stand before God. Here's what you need to know. When you have a bad boss, if you want to make the most of having a bad boss, just remember this. You don't work for your boss. You work for the king. That one day you will stand before the king. You may have a bad boss, but you have a better king. And one day you're going to stand before God. And as you stand before God, here's what he's going to say. Well done. Thank you for working so hard. I know you. I see you. I respect you. I honor you. Well done, my good and faithful hard worker. You might have had an obscure man, but you were working for a better king. You don't work for an obscure man. You work for a better king. And right now, you might have a bad boss. I just want you to remember, you have a better king. And even if you can't respect that man, respect him. Work your job. That's how you make the best out of a bad boss. Number four is this. Do you believe that hard work pays off? Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. There is no shortcut to success. I meet a lot of young people, and they think that as soon as they get out of college, they deserve 50K. Okay, they think, well, I went to college, and I filled out the application, right? I need to go take a vacation now, right? right? I, no, that's not how it works. Okay, a lot of young people, they think that they deserve the standard of living that their parents worked their entire lives to get to. You think, oh, well, when my parents had a you know, two-story house, three beds, two and a half baths, and two cars, I need the same thing. And so you, you get a job, and you get in, and you think, all of a sudden, I'm going to get the fruit-fruit drinks on the beach, I'm going to work my 40 hours, and then I am going to get paid, I'm going to buy this new car, I'm going to get this new house, I'm going to get all the things, everything, because, well, because I, I deserve it. That's not how it works. 
You're going to spend 10, 15, maybe 30 years before you earn a decent paycheck. There's no shortcuts to success, but here's the deal. Hard work always pays off. That you don't get the standard of living just because you show up. It's going to take 10, 20, 30 years of you working hard, working diligently before you ever get to a place to where you're finally going to have a little bit of comfort. You need to work, and you need to work hard. There is no shortcut to success. There is only hard work. Some people, they want the shortcut. Be very wary of people who tell you there's a shortcut to success. Be very worried for people who tell you that, that you can buy these magic beans and climb your way to the top of the ladder. Be very wary of people who tell you there's something that's too good to be true because if it's too good to be true, most likely it probably is. There is no shortcut to success. There is only hard work. So let me give you three ways that you can be successful at your work. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work hard, but I also want you to work smart. And so I'm going to give you three ways for you to be successful at your work. These are three things that I am sure that any employer in this room is looking for. And if you can just nail these three things, then you have no ceiling. And this is what I look for when I'm looking for a staff member. This is what we look for when we're looking for a deacon to raise up a new leader, to bring an elder in. This is what we look for in our team. And if somebody doesn't have these qualities, I don't look at them a second time. Okay, so here's the three things that we look for when it comes to a leader. The first thing is we're looking for fat people. You're like, what? Fat people? Okay, we're looking for fat people, okay? And, and no, I'm not talking about the guy who eats the whole box of Twinkies. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. We're talking about faithful, available, teachable. Are you fat? Okay, we're talking about avocado fat. That's the good fat. That's what we're looking for. Are you fat? Faithful, available, teachable. Are you faithful? Or if you want to be successful, you also need to be faithful. Will you show up and do the job? Can we count on you? Can we trust you? Can we depend on you? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Do you follow through? Are you a person of your word? Can you be on time? Okay, we have a saying in our team that we would rather be an hour early than a minute late because we want to be people who are faithful. That people are counting on us. People are trusting on us. People are looking to us. And so we need to know that we are faithful people. Are you faithful? Number two, are you available? Okay, are you the person who's always present? One of the best ways for you to get a promotion is for you just to be present. That, that you're there. They're like, hey, we need somebody to do this job. Oh, hey, you're there. Could you do it? Oh, yeah, I could do that job. Right? Because you're, you're, you're available. Are you investing in yourself? Are you reading books? Are you studying? Are you, are you reading blogs? Are, are you growing in your field? Are you bettering yourself? Are you being available to actually do the job? And then number three, are you teachable? Are you willing to say, you know what? I don't know everything, but I'd be willing to learn. Could you show me that? I'm going to ask for help because I know that asking for help doesn't make me weak. Hey, could you, could you teach me that? Could you, how, how did you do that? Hey, can I come in a little bit early? Can I stay a little bit late? Can, can, I, can I do that? Do, are you teachable? Do you have a good attitude at work? Are you the one who's always complaining, always criticizing? Right? Is that your attitude? Okay, that's not a teachable attitude. You've got to be humble. You've got to be dependable. You need to be faithful. You need to be available. You need to be able to keep your mouth shut, keep your feet forward, keep your face forward, keep your nose down, and do the work. That's what it means to be teachable. And I can guarantee you, if you demonstrate these three things, you're going to be successful in your job. Faithful, available, and teachable. Was Jesus faithful? Yes. Did Jesus make himself available? Yes. Okay, was Jesus teachable? He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and others. Luke 2.52, Jesus did. Jesus was faithful, he's available, and he was teachable. Okay, that's what we're looking for. 
We're looking for that model. That's what Proverbs shows us. And then the last thing is this, number five. Do you see work as an opportunity for worship? The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. Proverbs 19, 23. How many of you, you're tired? How many of you, you're tired? How many of you are like, I am overworked. I am so tired. I am exhausted. I am stressed out. My eyeballs are falling out. My hair is turning gray, right? That's me. How many of you, that's you? You're exhausted. You're tired. Okay, that's everybody. You know how I know? Because I talked to you in the lobby. I was standing in the lobby and you walked in and I was like, hey, good morning. How are you doing? You're like, I'm so tired. I need coffee. I hate my job. I hate my life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Here's the reason why we're tired. It's because we're not resting. And not resting is not meaning we're not taking a day off, we're not taking a vacation, we're not resting in his presence. The reason why we're so tired is because we are working in our own efforts and we're not working in his. The reason why we're so tired is because we are working in our own strength and we're not working in his. The reason why we are so tired is not because our bodies are tired, but because our souls are tired, because we are not building our work on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. He says here, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has the fear of the Lord will rest satisfied. How many of you ever gone on vacation and then you come back and you're just as tired? It's because you're resting your body and you didn't rest your soul. The fear of the Lord allows you to rest satisfied. The fear of the Lord allows you to be able to build your life on the presence of God. Here's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord does not mean that you're afraid of God, that you are weary of God. It does not mean that you're cowering, running away from God, or worrying. In fact, the fear of the Lord is the opposite. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean worry. It actually means worship, that when you work, with the fear of the Lord, guess what that really is? It's your worship. That work is an opportunity with the fear of the Lord for you to glorify him in everything that you do. Your work is an opportunity for your worship. There is a way for you to be at work and at rest at the same time, and it's with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an awareness of God's presence in your life. Did you know that God is present with you? at your job? Did you know that God is right there beside you when you are at work? Did you know that God is right there enabling you and empowering you the entire time you are at your job? Did you know that God cares just as much about your work as he does the one hour you spend here at church? Because you're going to spend one hour listening to this sermon, but you're going to spend 100,000 hours putting it to practice. What if we stopped seeing work just as work, but what if we started seeing work actually as our worship? What if we started thinking that God is not only present with me at church, but he's also present with me at work? What if we started thinking that, work, that worship is not the one hour on Sunday, but the 100,000 hours that I get to worship for the rest of my life? You get to worship 100,000 hours. You get to praise God for 100,000 hours. You get to glorify God for 100,000 hours. How many of you wish that you would have more time to spend in God's presence? Okay, if you go to work, you do. 
because it's 100,000 hours for you to worship, 100,000 hours for you to praise him, 100,000 hours in your life for you to sanctify, 100,000 hours for you to become like Jesus, 100,000 hours of your life. Does God care about your work? Absolutely, because when you get wisdom, your work is worship. You can glorify God through your work. When you get this, this changes everything. Because then you realize that the thing that you dread in the morning is actually something that God is using to bring glory to him and good in your life. Your work is actually a form of your worship. Some of you, you come here today and you have a bad job. I know. You got a bad job. But Proverbs says... The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. So for those of you who come here today, I want you to know this, that you may have a bad job, and you may not be satisfied with your job, but you can still be satisfied in him. He is our satisfaction. And in him, you have rest. I'm reminded in Matthew whenever Jesus says, come to me, all you who weary and you're heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and find what? Rest. Find rest for your soul. Today you may be tired. There is rest in the presence of God. Today you may be weary. There is rest in the presence of God. Today you may be struggling. There is rest in the presence of God. Today you may be working, but allow him to turn that work into worship, and you will find rest in his presence. Others of you, you're here today, you love your job. Praise the Lord. But don't ever stop thinking that your work is not worship. And then some of you, you come here today, and you say, oh, I'm the foolish guy. That's me. Thank you for not being the smartest person in the room and admitting that that's you. If that's you, guess what? not too late. There's wisdom for you. You can get wisdom. You can get wisdom. You don't have to be a fool. You can get wisdom, and you can watch God work in your life. And then others, you're the wise workers. We need people like you in our church. Here's what I want to know. What would this city look like if there was a whole church of people who saw work as an opportunity for worship? What would this city look like if when you go to your job, you do the best job that you can, you work hard, you're early, you leave late? What would it look like if you worked as worship? What would that look like? Your boss would be calling redemption and saying, hey, you got any more of those people? Because they're the best workers we got. But isn't that the way the church is supposed to be? Isn't that the way that we're supposed to live? Isn't that what wisdom grants us? What would it look like if we had a church filled with worshipers who weren't afraid to work? I think that's why we read the book of Proverbs. So let me close you with a quote. It comes from Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, and he was writing to encourage his church. And here's what he said. I'm going to leave it with you, and I hope it, you remember it and apply it to your life. Here's what he says. He says, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting 
crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Does God care about your job? Yeah. Does God care about your work? Yes. Does God care about your worship? Yes. Because when you get wisdom, your work is your worship. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.